There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We are thrilled to announce that we are welcoming a wonderful new sponsor to Conversations on Dance, Yumiko. As avid fans and consumers of Yumiko's quality and personalized dancewear, we are thrilled to partner with this exceptional company. Founded in 2002, Yumiko creates long-lasting and great-fitting dance and athletic wear of the highest quality. What began as a small collection of leotard designs has grown into a phenomenon that has redefined the dancewear industry. To celebrate Yumiko's support of Conversations on Dance, we are excited to be announcing a special giveaway coming later this month, so stay tuned. Follow us on Instagram at Conversations on Dance and at Yumiko for details on how to enter to win. And don't forget to check out their website, yumiko.com, and visit their flagship boutique in New York City featuring the all-new interactive color bar. You guys have to check this out. Now is the perfect time to experience the perfect fit of Yumiko dancewear products. This episode is brought to you by the Town of Vail and hosted by Manor Vale Lodge, important partners of the 2018 Vail Dance Festival. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week on Conversations on Dance, we are joined by the choreographic team sweeping the modern dance world, Rashawn Mitchell and Silas Reiner. The duo performed together at Merce Cunningham Dance Company, where they discovered their choreographic compatibility and a similar willingness to explore the way abstraction and representation coincide in the body. Their works have been presented at MoMA PS1, the Museum of Contemporary Art Chicago, New York Live Arts, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, and many other prestigious venues throughout the country. They will premiere Switch for the Joyce Theater this October 2nd through 6th. Tickets may be purchased at www.joyce.org. Thank you guys so much for joining us, for taking time out of your day, your rehearsal day, to come on over to the Manor Vale and talk to us. Of course. We're happy you to be here. Us. We live here also. So, <laughs> so you live at the Manor Vale. Good. At yeah. home, around the corner. Around the corner. <laughs> so could we uh, hear a little bit about how each of you got your start in dance? Mm. Do you want to go first? Um, sure. I... Did not. So this is Silas speaking. Um, this is Silas. Sometimes we sound similar. We've been told. Um, 
I started dancing when I was 19. When I got to college, I had grown up playing soccer and maybe did like a one, maybe less than a year of like rec center gymnastics in DC. I'm from the DC area, Mm -hmm. Washington, DC. And I had to choose between gymnastics and soccer when I was like 10 years old. So I ended up playing soccer all my life until I got to college. My first friend in college was a ballet dancer and we went to like a student dance concert and she was like, I want to audition for that group. And so we both auditioned for this dance company. I ended up dancing and making costumes and choreographing for this student company. And uh, I sort of, sort of started taking classes in the, there's like a, the American Repertory Ballet is in the town where I went to college. And so those teachers were teaching classes uh, every day at noon. And I started taking modern classes from Zaeva Cohen and Rebecca Legier. And it just kind of like kept going. Mm-hmm. And by the time I was a junior or senior in college, it became clear that this was maybe going to be the thing. Yeah. And so I did what everybody does and moved to New York. Yeah. And um, <laughs> the rest is the rest. So how much work did you have to do to go back kind of and learn? Oh my gosh. Like the vocabulary, you know, like It's that. like the weirdest. I mean, the work is still happening, really. <laughs> yeah. I do not know what I'm doing, but I <laughs> It's just the weirdest culture to walk into as a an adult, mm-hmm. you know, because Everyone is kind of performing these regressive experiences that they have grown up through ballet or through dancing. It's got this whole history behind it that I did not understand. The logic of a dance class did not make mm-hmm. any sense to me. Um, I was lucky because my body was like I could pick things up pretty quickly mm-hmm. and I could put myself in the shapes that other people were kind of making, but there was, and still is a long path towards like figuring it out. Wow! And so I think in some ways that was really good for me. In mm-hmm. some ways it's, it's meant like a 10 year catch up experience. Sure. Yeah. So how about you, Rashawn? Um, I started formally training when I was 15 in high school But, you know, I did like martial arts when I was, you know, in my youth a little bit. And I used to make up dances like on the street corner and stuff. So I feel like I was always dancing. You know, it's a huge part of my culture growing up. And um, and I just started taking dance class in high school for a PE credit. And I thought it was like hilarious. I was just (laughs) like, this is the weirdest thing. Um, But then, you know, over time, it started to kind of grow on me and I started to realize that it was something that I could actually do. You know, when I was growing up, there were no examples of I didn't know that you could really be a dancer as a profession, you know, certainly not as a boy. Um, And so once I started to actually see that this was a thing that you could actually do with your life, Mm -hmm. that's when I started to kind of take it seriously and focus. So I started, you know, at 15 um, and then went to Sarah Lawrence College where I continued my training it was pretty experimental, um, super unconventional, not a lot of technique, but a lot of, you know, creative work. Um, and then when I graduated, I, you know, moved to the city and started like really kind of like honing my training and went to the Cunningham School and 
you know, was trying to, again, do the whole catch up game. Um, And so, you know, luckily it kind of worked out for me. Um, But I've had to sort of carve my own way, you know? Yeah. I think it's interesting that both of you kind of mentioned that you were already making dances very early Mm -hmm. on. So in a way, um, your journey to becoming a dancer was very much tied to choreographing. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that I never really thought they were separate. Right. That mm. you just made dances because right. that's how you get to be in the dances. <laughs> so, I think it's also like about how you approach living too. You know how you curate what's in your life and sure. your space and how you participate. You know all of that for me. I think of it choreographically. So mm. you know just applying it to a more formal, rigorous sort of structure or framework now. But right. it's always been there. Yeah, yeah. And this resonates personally because Rashawn will rearrange all the furniture in the apartment every couple of weeks and then you'll come back and you'll be like oh i live here now yeah okay it's like no but it's better right it's a new experience but it feels different then totally different (laughs) so um you both mentioned that after college you moved to new york what were your first steps for continuing your education there and starting to get into choreography you know, I used to go to the public library. This mm-hmm. is back before the internet was like, you know, what it is now. Right. Um, so, yeah, I used to go to the library and, and watch videos and, and read dancer biographies. And I was just kind of obsessed with that. And I did, I, I got an education just from that. Um, and, um, but I soon realized that I, you know, I was really struggling. I was doing odd jobs. I was cater waiting. I was you know, doing temp work, like whatever I could do. And I was realizing, and I was dancing for some experimental choreographers, but, you know, money was always an issue and Mm -hmm. um, started to realize that I wasn't actually taking class enough. I wasn't training. I didn't have the money for it. So I decided to go and join the um, scholarship program at Cunningham. It was really the reason that I went there was they had a scholarship program and I auditioned for it and I got in and you had to take eight classes a week. Um. So, yeah, and I, just from doing that, it got stronger, mm-hmm. better. Um, but that was my experience for the first couple of years of being, you know, an adult in the city and trying to navigate it. It was really complicated. It's hard, yeah. Yeah. How about you, Silas? My path was really different, uh, I think, maybe because because I started just in college. My te- My teachers in college were sort of like, we think you should get more training. You should consider like a... Uh, a program specific. So I ended up doing the MFA program at NYU, the Tisch School. And it was like Pilates at eight, ballet at nine, Mm -hmm. modern at 1030. And then, you know, acting, dance history, anatomy, everything, music in the afternoons. So I feel like I got like a conservatory crash course Mm -hmm. after that, um, which was very shocking (laughs) in in many ways. Um, But that made it sort of the reverse experience because I was doing that program. It's a two-year program and I was coming back for the second year and taking classes at the Cunningham School for similar reasons. It's recommended for people who are need more organization in their bodies or, you know, if you if you like it, you really like it and your mm-hmm. body really responds to it and you get a lot stronger. So I was taking classes there and someone was leaving the company around that same time. And so I kind of dropped out of grad school and joined the Cunningham company um, when I was 23. So I didn't do the whole like freelancer 
struggling thing at the beginning. So I saved it so I could do it now <laughs> after I had a nice full-time job. Um, but yeah, that is kind of how it happened for me in New York at the beginning. Yeah. So did you meet through professional experience or was it, um, how did, how did you two meet? Well, I saw, I saw, mm. I saw you. Um, my teacher from college, Rebecca, had an extra ticket to Merce Cunningham's Ocean mm-hmm. at Lincoln Center in, I think, 2004 or 2005. And I, she's like, do you want to come with me? You should see this. It's like a cool thing. And I was like, who's that? Whatever. Let's go. <laughs> um, and it's this humongous piece of Merce's. It's 90 minutes long. It's in the round. They like removed a bunch of the apparatus in the Rose Theater to make it in the round. And Rashawn was in the show and I remember seeing him there. And then he fell in love at first sight. (laughs) (laughs) And then I fell asleep. (laughs) And then I, several years later, when I started coming to the studio, um, Rashawn was already like the guy in the company. And yeah, I've been dancing. dancing in the company for about four, he's a lot four, older than me, years. <laughs> many, <laughs> by the time he many got in, years but, older. Uh, it, so it was a nice kind of breath of fresh air to have him because he was um, coming at it from a new place, you know, and everything was new and you were questioning things and trying new things. And it was just a good energy for us who had been there for a while and things start to kind of get a little stale after a while, you know, as you know, from being, in, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we kind of met there and it was just kind of this immediate kind of creative spark actually. Um, but we didn't start making work together until a few years later. So I'm, I'm super curious to hear about that. Um, at least, um, you know, the ballet world, I guess has, is a more rigid model, but I can't think of too many examples of choreographers collaborating with one another. Um, and what made you think that that would be an exciting artistic route to take? Who thought that was a good idea? (laughs) Um, I think you kind of bullied me. I was actually, yes. Well, you started making work earlier. I had, you know, I I joined the company and I was sort of like, oh, I really want to make dances too, but I'm going to give this professional dancer and a company thing a shot and kind of try and focus on that and not be too distracted by other things. And you had started um, this collaboration with a poet who I was very, very interested in and have loved her work for a long time. Her name's Ann Carson. I found out you guys were doing a project together and I demanded to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of started the relationship where Rashawn was the choreographer and I was the dancer, but I was also like punching him from the inside of the dance. And we, we experimented a little bit with like, I, I made some things for him. He made some things for me. So it, it started out as a somewhat fluid structure of power and control. And then after that, things just sort of continued to evolve. Although we do make work separately um, most often our work is involved in some way creatively and collaboratively together. And let me tell you, it is not boring. <laughs> it's being polite. No, I mean, I think, you know, having been in Merce's work for 10 years, 
as wonderful as that experience was, it's very much, you know, a kind of top-down situation. You're working for a master, you do what you're told, you know, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of freedom in that. But I think when I started thinking about choreography really um, intensely, for me, it felt like there was maybe a space to kind of open that up a little bit more and to have a little bit more of a collaborative relationship to it. Um I think making dances is inherently collaborative anyway, right? You're really responding to people and people Mm -hmm. have their own kind of ways of moving and thinking and like organizing information. Right. So I always felt like I wanted to take that into account and kind of Mm -hmm. be more responsive in my process. So it just, and then the other aspect of it was more of a logistical concern of just the, the difficulty and challenges of trying to do something as an independent choreographer and the resources are not right they're not they're not amazing so to to have a partner in in crime to kind of have someone to kind of bounce ideas off of to have someone to kind of pick up the pieces when you kind of feel like you can't go on like that's what we just naturally did for each other and i don't think i would have been able to like find a sustainable way of doing this by myself you know so and 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 the nice thing is that it's not our relationship in the process is not locked in like we we sometimes take different roles um it's too much for one person yeah yeah it's even for of... the one persons that do it mm-hmm. it's so much mm-hmm. so we wanted to take a minute to talk about a wonderful new project run by friend of the pod Janie taylor Janie has long impressed with a diverse range of talents, whether it's her indelible impression as a New York City Ballet principal, her sleek costume designs for many new works, or her stagings of ballets from today's most sought-after choreographers. With her latest project, Quartermarks, Janie adds art curator to her list of considerable talents. Quartermarks is a quarterly publication of artwork printed on newsprint, offering a tangible experience meant to bring a sense of discovery, beauty, and joy into the lives of its readers. This newspaper was created in an effort to provide a momentary escape with a collection of beautiful artwork from varying artists in each issue. Readers are encouraged to share and reuse this paper in creative ways. Quartermarks is available by single volume or one-year subscription. To subscribe, check out the website quartermarksquarterly.com. Do you guys feel like you have a similar idea taste level I don't know is the thing but like you know I similar ideas and the way you're viewing a work or do you think really differently and that's what makes you work well together I think we do have really similar tastes there's a lot of overlap in what we like right but our ways of approaching those things are completely different Interesting. Well, in the way um, we the way we impact the process the yeah. way we come to make work together is completely opposite yeah. almost how so I mean, to do everything already. (laughs) Rashawn likes to make the dance before he steps into the studio or to like Rashawn's plan ahead. He plans ahead. He conceptualizes. He comes in with a lot of ideas. Mm -hmm. He has a framework Mm -hmm. that he's already moving from when he walks in the door. And Silas doesn't do that at all. I mean, he he really has to be in the room working with his body for anything to happen. Um, so in a way, it's kind of nice because right. we both get to kind of be and do what we want in the way that feels right for us. And it kind of supports each other. I mean, that's not always the case, no. but um, typically I like to approach things from an idea place. Right. And I think he likes to approach things from in a, a sensorial place. place. Yeah. That's interesting. So they they complement each mm-hmm. other, and 
often we'll find as we're trying to sort of smush the ideas into the physical expression that we do have a similar aesthetic. Mm. Um, And this has actually come up a lot in trying to work with people that aren't familiar with our work. Mm -hmm. The ways that we describe things or like particular ways of dividing up time or a way of suddenly switching from one kind of movement expression like very abruptly to another it's very it's very much a thing that we are drawn to right um, and we've found ways of articulating that with words because people are like what is this what do you mean like what's happening to me <laughs> i'd love if you could expand upon that a little because I, I, I was going to ask um how you would define your aesthetic together um are there ways that you describe it? In well, I think like- it's very interdisciplinary. We mm-hmm. like to collaborate, not with just ourselves, but with other artists, visual artists, um, text-based artists, music musicians. Um, and I think it's interesting to kind of look at how different disciplines operate differently, but also kind of where the overlaps are and, mm-hmm. and how we can borrow techniques. Mm-hmm. And, That's cool. Um, so I think that's a huge part of our work. I think there's a really strong kind of queer aesthetic kind of thread going through. And I think we like to approach conventions and then try to just kind of like Shift. skew them a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, not to completely rebel against them, but to kind of like look at them from different angles. And I don't think that there is really like a definable. We, we've really, I think consciously or unconsciously tried to stay away from a style Mm -hmm. of movement Mm -hmm. because that feels just not like not something we're terribly interested Mm -hmm. in right now either because it traps you or it feels stale or it Mm -hmm. doesn't allow avenues for all of these different kinds of information from visual art from text-based sources from new media to enter into the work from music of different kinds so i think we play it pretty fast and loose a lot of the time but there's a lot there's a deep commitment to of forms of physical research Mm -hmm. so there's always like a strong physical component it's all it's always rooted in dance which is maybe stupid to say but there's a there is a focus on like dance being the vehicle that it we are using to communicate these ideas or express these ideas that are coming out of us that do have like queer timelines or science fiction ideas or like radical you know departures into other forms of thought but it's always through the medium of the bodies um that we're looking at this to me makes a lot of sense when for instance we were reading about how you the canvases you sort of use are can vary pretty wildly mm-hmm. you, mean, you might do a site specific work mm-hmm. or something super intimate and then here at Vail your piece will be at the amphitheater yeah so is that something that you're consciously trying to do pick different um sort of outlets that will allow you to challenge yourself in that way or, or keep your work from being boxed in yes and no i mean i think we go where the opportunities are right. you know <laughs> just said yes you know uh-huh. with um, most of those things yeah but i do think um you know there is this sort of like prevailing idea that like as an artist you have to kind of narrow your focus or your field of research mm-hmm. and i just completely disagree with that like i i actually really enjoy doing really vastly different things and i think they really inform each other in ways that i can understand and sometimes i can't understand right so like being here at vale it's just this is in a way like 
a harder thing for me to do mm-hmm. um, to make something for a concert dance stage that has like a really finite kind of framework and to make something with music even. I mean, we usually work in silence. Um, right. You know, we're, we're not necessarily tied to like this idea of production or like a fin- final product. We were more process-based. So working collaboratively, working, you know, in with site specificity, working, you know, it's, these are modes that I think we're a little bit more comfortable with. Sure. And so being here, it's actually stretching a different aspect of our work. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's also an aspect of pragmatism um, that maybe we absorbed from Merce. Uh, I think Merce, in a lot of ways, was an incredible problem solver of practical things like okay the stage is here and there's another stage and you can't see the two stages from each other so what am i how am i going to solve this problem and i think you know in saying yes to lots of different kinds of opportunities there are pathways that we have taken to try and figure out how to translate the work or the aesthetics that we do have into these very different environments. I will say that it is disorienting to go from like a field in rural Texas to Vail, where like the relationship to spectatorship and spectacle and showmanship is really uh, a little bit more clearly defined, particularly in terms of like all of the excellence Mm -hmm. that is on that stage and feeling like oh i too have to have this relationship to excellence even though the things that we're working on are sometimes slipperier or less visibly virtuosic um there are ways that you know we we will slant things in different ways for you know depending on who is watching Mm -hmm. So it's clear that you guys, you draw a lot of influence from outside just the dance world. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, what, where do you draw inspiration from, be it music or poetry? Or who are, who are some of your greatest sources of inspiration? Well, one project that we're working on right now is like greatly inspired by Anna Halprin, who's like an early sort of modern improviser. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of early Judson artists, um, a lot of science fiction artists, um, Sam Delaney, Octavia Butler, um, Orson Scott Card. Like we, we love to read science fiction and fantasy. Yeah. And also we've been, you know, we've had some forays with, you know, technology which you know we just did a 3d film with charles atlas so kind of engaging with technologies um there's a lot it's it really runs like a wide spectrum um i've never really known how to like um how to make the inspiration follow a path like a line like Mm -hmm. i'm being inspired by these things right now i'm research like i my brain is such a mushy mess (laughs) that um the the kinds of thoughts that come up like you know i i'm one of those people that like saves all the tabs that are open (laughs) on like the internet explorer so there are like like, 70 mm, tabs and one of them's like oh this random weaving technique that's dying out in central america and one of them is like what are the earliest songs that anyone ever knew before and they just (laughs) like they are the most random things Uh, but i feel like i I, i'm like a weird Mm -hmm. magpie i collect things one thing that rashawn and i have figured out to do together 
in terms of like quote unquote inspirational type stuff mm-hmm. is um, hiking mm-hmm. and and being really deliberate about experiences of time or meditation in the natural world, um, which is why it's amazing also to be here in Vail. I was going to say, you must be in heaven here. The hiking is incredible. We unfortunately don't have a lot of free time this year, but we've done a number of the big hikes in this area together. And there's something about like, how time passes and how how much of the land like the slowness of the landscape that you're going through affects uh your thoughts and right. things really come up we've also been playing a lot of board games like big epic nerdy board games um that's been something that has tied in a number of different like ways of thinking um and music i think a lot we're in the car a lot together and so there's a lot of like epic journeys through music that I missed as a young person or new people that we have discovered that are just, you know, pulling us to think about certain kinds of, yeah, listening. Love that. So can you tell us a little bit about your new work that you guys are going to be premiering here in Vail? What day is it? Monday? It's on Monday, Monday, Monday night, yeah. the now colon premieres (laughs) and it is a trio with uh, the lovely and amazing lauren lovett she is dancing with the two of us and it's called three body which is a reference to a science fiction book called the three body problem which is actually a reference to a classical physics problem about uh three planetary bodies that are exerting gravity on each other and how three things might orbit around each other and what kind of pushes and pulls happen because it's still a, pro- a problem that's studied and the book is uh, really nuts also. I recommend it. That's cool. We came listeners. to that like sort of realization of the inspiration pretty late, I think. I think it's been really hard for me the past couple of years to think about choreography and dance mm-hmm. with our political climate and everything that's been going on. It just feels like sometimes hard to know what the value of what you do is and, and how to kind of keep going. Um, so I think for a long time I was in a place of like kind of fear of doing this, to be quite honest, and not sure like what the right approach would be. But then I think I realized like, oh, we need to find the music because we, we don't usually work with music. So I was like, OK, we're going to just find a piece of music that feels right. right. And um, we found this piece of music um, called Striking by Andrew Byrne. And it's new. And um, the instruments are played um with chopsticks or yeah, they're, they're like, like they're like lot. being plucked <laughs> or string hit. quartet, so very, uh-huh. they're banging string on quartet. yeah but it's very <laughs> percussive um and it felt like that was you know a way for us to kind of approach it was through rhythm actually um so once we found the music everything else sort of fell, fell into, into place. place yeah but you know this is damien's like you know brainchild really he mm-hmm. thinks of these things and he sort of proposes these things and he said you know why don't you guys work with lauren and make a trio and we were like okay, like we don't know her, but sure, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you start to kind of try and figure out how you might fit yourself into someone else's idea. Sure. And you just try to get to know them at the same time. And it's been really, really great to work with her because she's just so fast and she's so, she's um, an amazing dancer. And she's game too. She's like, that's weird. I've never done that before. You want me to roll on the floor? Right. That's (laughs) first. (laughs) And she's in point shoes, right? And she's in point shoes. We thought it would be important for everyone to really 
be themselves right. and to kind of work with who we are as people and to really just focus on dancing together. And like, there's no narrative. It's not trying to be anything. It's just about the three of us being in a space together. Right. Oh, I'm so excited to see it. Yeah, me it. too. <laughs> so, uh, with that, we're going to come to our final part of our interview, which is our lightning, lightning round. round? You know about the lightning round? I don't know about the <laughs> lightning round. Have you been listening? I, I listened <laughs> to, I, I listened to Lauren's podcast, but maybe I stopped it because I, yeah, we may yeah. not have done it. We may have been short on time. Okay, with her. Yeah, Sometimes no, if we're running remember. short on time, we're like, cut it. Okay. So maybe not. But so this is your first. Just one. before the lightning round, I realized I did take your class at Mark Morris. Sure, I remember it was now. Really good. It was really good. <laughs> it was really good. It was memorable. Those were some of my first classes, and the, you know, the two-hour thing was what was really scary because. I ended up just giving like a two hour balancing seminar, which was like not what most people in that classroom needed. But I was like, I don't know what else to do. This is so, what I know. It was yeah. great. I don't think I was in that seminar class, but yeah. I remember getting a lot of information that I didn't have before. Well, Reed used to come take my class all the time. And that was, I needed to have like one person to talk to. He'd be like, you sounded insane, but no, it was fine. <laughs> it was still fun. All right. So lightning round. First question. Answer with what the first thing that comes to mind. Um, your favorite part of the creative process. The middle. The beginning. <laughs> Different. Different? Yeah. No, there was no end. Nobody said end. <laughs> no. You don't want it to. By end. the time you know what something is, you're, yeah. you're already on to the next. Right? Mm -hmm. The middle is when you don't fully have to know yet, but you're like, parting the curtains mm. and seeing it's also where the doubt That's is where I have the most doubt yeah yeah <laughs> uh favorite music to work with potatoes disco <laughs> i answered too quickly yes no you answered too didn't, quickly you want something well, else it didn't, didn't make any sense <laughs> i'm taking the lightning round too seriously <laughs> <laughs> um what's the hardest part about being a choreographer dealing with people's emotions <laughs> yeah ther the therapy yeah therapy do you both i both? think you have to it's it's very hard for me to have to know what's next yeah you're the one just in response and they're just looking at you it, and waiting. they're like do you want me to do something or not because if not <laughs> i'm just gonna get on my phone and get on instagram <laughs> yeah. and be yeah. fine yeah <laughs> um if you could dance any role tomorrow uh what would it be any work any ballet any choreographer oh. um you can also be younger too if you want some people ask for that we one. could be you could younger be younger ourselves. in your mind if you wanted oh. to be. Could we be someone else younger i like that sure that's i don't know I, you'd be. like i have a lot of problems with my body so i oh. just don't think that way but i think i would choose like paul taylor's controversial early work of just the stillness thing <laughs> I would just want to be still. <laughs> that's like a not, that's like a cop out, but. I have always wanted to be one of the characters that's like really bad at ballet or bad at dancing. And I know that like, you're probably not allowed to do Petrushka anymore. But when I saw Petrushka for the first time and he's like such a bad clown dancer, um, I had always wanted to. I think there's another character in some ballet who like is bad but really good like it's always a really good dancer pretending to be, to be bad. bad that's good do you so. know what i'm talking about so you you do petrushka but like in 1920 like a contemporary like <laughs> yeah without the brown face yeah we don't need that um what would be your dream project if you had all the money in the world 
No budget. Sky's the limit. Oh my God. Any dancers you wanted? This is the lightning round. I know. Welcome. I thought it was gonna be like favorite ice cream. <laughs> I wanted to, to do this piece with uh, pigeon flocking. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, that's cool. Pigeons. Pigeons. <laughs> sort of some sort of outdoor. Um, site-specific work, like on the side of a mountain with pigeons, I think would be pretty cool. That's awesome. I don't know. There have been a few like inklings of forays into like 3D or holograms or VR type things that, mm. it, you know, it feels like such a challenging problem to be like, how are you going to take this thing that is about being in the room with someone and create something that is actually meaningful without being hokey and digital and yeah. snazzy in some way. So maybe I would do that, but that doesn't feel like the best answer either. I think it's a great answer. So okay. There's answer. no wrong what answer. comes to your mind. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. <laughs> thank you. Really thank you. Super fun. So fun. Thanks, guys. <laughs> My robot ballet with pigeons and holograms, K-pop all-star holograms. And disco. With disco music. Yeah. It's the next Oh, yeah. Sylvester will come back. Right. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope that you take a moment to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where we are always posting unique content in honor of each week's guest. And click over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. Those five stars really go a long way in helping us continue to grow the podcast and our brand. See you next week on Conversations on Dance. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.